in. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Morning, everyone. Hey, hope you are having a great week, and can you believe it is November? Amazing. This week on the podcast, I am so excited to bring to you my conversation that I had with one of the best distance runners in America, Dina Caster. As I said, is one of the best American distance runners of all time, and she has a long list of amazing accomplishments, including being the American record holder in the marathon and half marathon with times of 2.19.36 and 1.07.34. She's a three-time Olympian and won a bronze medal in the 2004 Olympic Games in Athens and has also won both the London and Chicago marathons. She holds a 5,000 meter PR of 1451 and 10,000 meter PR of 3050. And she also holds the American Masters half marathon and marathon record times of 109.36 and 227.47. We of course talk about her accomplishments in some of her best races, but we talk a lot about mindset and I learned much more about Dina and her running background, but also sort of life background in her memoir and almost self-help book called Let Your Mind Run. And anyone that has followed me on social would have heard me talk about this because it has really sort of transformed how I go into my training, but also so much more than just running as well. Like this really, the lessons in Dina's book really translate into how you think in the real world too. And of course, anyone that does endurance sport, running particularly, will know that these two things really overlap as well. So Dina runs with the Mammoth Track Club and she's coached or was coached by her husband, Andrew Castor, and she's a mum to her daughter, Piper. And so we talk about that a little bit as well. And also, you know, the moments that she's most proud of in her career. I will, of course, put links in the show notes to where you can find Dina and also her book, Let Your Mind Run. And before we crack on into the interview, I just want to remind you that a great way to support the podcast is not only to subscribe to the podcast, to share with your mates and to also leave a five star review. That would be amazing. Uh, but also sign up to my recipe portal access, which is $12 a month. You get a weekly email from me. This week I sent an email out about reverse dieting and how to go about it for anyone that's interested in the whole nutrition health space. You get access to my members only forum on Facebook where we have a written Q&A and also do members only Facebook lives. And you also get access to pick my brain on anything nutrition related that you have questions about for you and your own nutrition and health related journey. So you will find that option in the show notes, but also over on my website at mickeywillardin.com. All right, team, enjoy this interview with Dina Caster. <laughs> Dina Caster, how are you this morning, your afternoon? Yeah, doing great. It's a gorgeous day here in Mammoth Lakes, California, where I live and school has started. So I've gotten some of my mornings back, which means I get to run with my team every day. So it's oh. been a good day so far. <laughs> oh, that is great. Now, um, what kind of running did you do this morning? Um, I just had an easy 35 minutes with a couple of my teammates who are just starting to get back into training after track season. They took some time off. Um, I tapered with them, even though I wasn't in very good shape to begin with, but now in the climb back to fitness with them too. So it was a, it was a fun day, 30 minutes, 35 minutes. You can be very social. And mm. so it was a fun morning being able to connect with each other. That sounds awesome. And what time of day do you prefer to run Dina? 
Uh, definitely in the mornings as a, as a mom and someone whose calendar I'm looking at it right here is just completely packed. Um, every day, uh, the day really gets away from me if I don't do it in the morning and, um, and I'm better doing everything else that follows if I can get my run in early. Yeah, I, I'm the same. And in fact, the thing that I sort of suffer from a little bit is if I do my run in the morning and it's a more of a like a longer run or like quite a good effort for whatever I might be training for. I then get this mindset that I've done my work for the day, which is not good for anything else that actually needs to be done. But I'm like, sweet, I'm done. Oh, what? I have to go to work and actually do something. Right. No, I accomplished <gasps> everything I set out to do today. I said I ran, run early, but it's it's not too early because it is my, my actual job. So it's, yeah. um, it's after coffee, usually around eight, 8 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. in the morning is when I would do. Nice. Oh, and do you know, I have a number of things that I want to chat to you about. Obviously your book, Let Your Mind Run, which Dina, thank you so much for that book. That was just such an amazing read and in fact it was I don't even know like I went I think I was in one of our bookstores here uh, and just browsing and saw some uh, memoirs autobiography and I thought it's been a while since I've read something like that so got home got my kindle and then just thought I'd browse running books and came across yours so it actually was quite it was just a uh, I happened to come across it and went I used to follow Dina when she was at the height of her career because when you were, um, when you had your Olympic campaigns and obviously with social media, your, I guess your journey wasn't as available to us in the early 2000s the way that it would be now here in New Zealand. But as a an avid runner, I just, you know, enjoyed looking globally at all the women running. And I just remember seeing you in your Olympic campaigns and thought, this could be a great read. And I was blown away by how much what you wrote just resonated with me and it must to all of your readers. And it was just such a, a beautiful mix of your memoir and your running and life journey, but in addition to some really good lessons and, and almost like a self-help type book. Um, amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. It means a lot to get feedback like that because it took me three years to write that book and it was torture. I, I had some breakdowns thinking like, how on earth am I losing my optimism as I'm writing about that <laughs> subject? And so it really did tax me. It was harder than anything I've ever done in my life, including marathons in 101 degree weather and childbirth. So if that gives you a, um, a sense of how challenging that task was, but I really think everything, every success has to do with the team you put yourself with. And I really adored and respected or still do still adore and respect my co-author, Michelle Hamilton. She kept me so focused on what we were trying to, to accomplish. And it would have been much much easier to write a book on how to master mile repeats or something, but to, to go back and read decades worth of journals and training mm. logs to try to remember. I would write first and then I would go and check my memory by, by going back and reading what I had written in the time. And some, in some cases it would add to, to what I had already written down on paper. And in other times it would completely contrast. So I had to sit there for days and think what that truth is that, um, mm. that I got so many years ago out of a certain experience, a race or a training session. And so it was a pretty grueling task, but, um, but my co-author Michelle was just brilliant at keeping me focused, being supportive when I would call her in tears. Um, but also just a great team to work together and hold each other accountable. I think I would have given up much sooner um, than accomplishing that book, writing that that last sentence if I didn't feel obligated to stay committed because of her. Mm, and so you mentioned your journals and I remember listening on another podcast how obviously you use them to inform your book. Dina, have you always been like a, a journal writer? Is that just something that you've done from a very young age or did you find that you 
developed that over time as you sort of got serious about your running and other things that you were trying to achieve? I think it's had different phases journaling. When I was younger, I only kept journals when I would come visit where I live right now, Mammoth Lakes, California. My cross-country team would come from Southern California to the mountain town of Mammoth Lakes where I now live. And we would always stop at the local bookstore, the bookie joint, and get a journal our first day here. And we would journal our whole our whole um, two weeks that we stayed here. And then I became an English major. So I did a lot of journaling and writing in college. Um, and then um, and then after college, it's where I was able to just um, moving to a new location and having all male teammates. My journals were like my friends, you know, the person mm. I connected with at the end of the day before I went to sleep, um, where I got it all out and could really be authentically me um, without any filters. And so I really felt great value in looking back on those journals. That's so amazing. Like I have over the period of my life had small portions of time sort of keeping a journal and but of course like a lot of people it's like the last thing I'd like to go do like to do is go back and read it like you know like I'm like oh I don't want to read about the time I had a crush on that guy or you know that I felt really awful and then just reflect on it just because I suppose it it takes a lot of skill and it takes I think courage actually to sort of look back on where you've been and um, reflect on it and sort of how it then relates to where you've ended up. I don't know. Just yeah. how you feel about and it. Michelle really, really reinforced early in the process that the more vulnerable I could be in this process, that the greater gift the reader would would actually get. And so really, you know, we I think we sometimes sum things up in a cliche before we move on, but to really critically understand why we're disappointed, um, to understand ourselves in, in really showcased moments, highs and lows. I think the hardest thing to read about in my journals and also really dwell and reflect on and hash out was um, two moments um, that were reflected in the book. One was when my teammates who I cherish and adore um, were really mean to me and, and hurtful. Um, that was really hard to relive. And also, um, my panic attack in Finland, I was like, I don't, I maybe let's just leave this out. I don't, I wanted to leave both things out. I wanted to leave out cause I felt like I was throwing my teammates under the bus, even though they were mean to me. And I also wanted to leave out the panic attack because it showed that I wasn't perfect or, um, showed me in my, at a very what I considered a weak state. But I think when we can own those moments, it was important for those guys to unfriend me, I guess what you would do on social media these days to feel the same pain. But um, when my teammates unfriended me that day on the river path, it was, it was the very beginning of me accepting myself. And that was a really important moment in my growth. So it was important mm. to, it was important to write about and write about it from a, like authentically from how I, how I coped with it. And luckily, um, because of my journals, I could get all those moments in there. The day that I just downright cried my eyes out, like sobbing into my dog's fur to the day where I'm like, well, I actually like who I am. So all of that in between, I was able to write about that authentically because it was, it was right there on the pages, the, the pain and then the understanding and then the, the moving forward. That was one of the hardest things to read in your book. I cried, like, and I'm sure you've had that from so many people. Just the, just how hurtful that must have been at the time, and and you know, particularly because, of course, on your pages, and I can you know just sense it. Just talking to you is such a, a a kind, giving sort of people person to have that thrown back at you, or or to have that sort of the you feel like you're a relationships person and to have some of those people who you spent almost all of your time and you had no idea to have them uh, treat you like that just must have been so hard and then to revisit and write about it as well like yeah. I, I can't imagine Gina and it's it's um in hindsight like so many people have said god that was that took me by surprise I was so shocked and I was like that's exactly how it felt in the day it's exactly how it felt but also one of the gentlemen on the river path that day that stood there 
um, in, um, in protest, I'll just call it, um, yeah. me, he is now a coach in Southern California. And that book is mandatory reading for all of his athletes. I'm like, did he read the book himself? <laughs> this, um, we actually just had dinner last week when his team was up here for their running camp. And, um, and so we are, we are good friends again. And that's the importance of, of making sure that you can forgive people because it was yeah. actually in hindsight, although it hurt, I admit in the book, like we were all immature. We all should have handled yeah. that moment a little differently, me included. And, um, but I considered it a very critical part in my life because it allowed me to accept myself and continue, continue on the journey that I was on. Yeah, no, I completely appreciate that. And it left me wondering after reading about that, one, what uh, Coach Vihil, what how, what his response was when I imagine you would have shared that with him or the teammate or something, but then also how those relationships, if they recovered at all, and you've just talked about how with one of the men you're now good friends with, which is great. Um, I, I think, I think the only recovery that, that had to happen was, was within me, right? That was yeah. the most important part. Um, luckily we're all grown up and none of us hold grudges. We, we all have moved on and, and, um, done variety of things with our lives from coaching to teaching, to being counselors, to continuing to run. So I think we're all in a much more mature place, but I, um, um, I, at the time it took me a long time to understand that I was grateful for that moment. Yeah. It's so interesting. And, you know, Dina, like I, when I'm reading your book, I just was thinking it takes such a special person to have the reflective skills that you have to be able to learn from those experiences and sort of move on. Like that's not, that's, it takes a lot of uh, learning and a lot of, I'm going to say practice, but actually even knowing and awareness that, that these things sort of help us in life and help progress us. Do you get that from your parents? Like, is that something you, you've just naturally sort of built up over time? I, I will say it came from running itself, starting at mm. the age of 11 and just having this this time in my running shoes to be reflective and to understand and to, um, to dig deeper, um, into, into life questions and, and truths that the sport teaches. And I think it wasn't until I met coach V Hill that I realized this doesn't happen in the silo of, of our running shoes, what we are building. We're, we are not really building our careers. We're building ourselves inside of our careers. And that's really something everybody can take away that who we are and who we, who we nurture, how we nurture ourselves in our running shoes. We need to take those lessons and live with them because that's the true value of what sports bring us. When we learn in the sports, great values, sports have great truths to offer on sportsmanship and, um, and discipline and resiliency and perseverance and persistence and endurance and all these different traits that we, that we work on day in and day out, mile after mile. If we can take those and apply them to life, that's the true gift that running brings us, not a personal best, but how we can apply it in real life situations. Totally. And I loved how you described your entry into running and, and the first, the fact that your parents seemed to throw you in any sport that was going. Um, and then when you just happen to like put on your shoes and go for a run and then discover the trails in and around um, the, if, if I'm right around the track and stuff, and you really sort of started to find yourself and who you were supposed to be. And I think any runner, it, and that was even from such an early age as well. And, and I feel this with running, like how you were just describing the lessons that running can teach you. I think every runner knows exactly what you're talking about. And it isn't just running specific, but I do feel like there's just something about running, which allows you to, to grow and develop in that way in yourself but also you have this real shared camaraderie with other runners it's almost like when you meet another runner the sense of knowing I'm not sure what it is it's just something that oh yeah I know I know about you because I know what you're going to experience when you're out there on your runs right and I think that's the beauty of of the sport of distance running and why I fell in love with it when I when I first towed the starting line at the New York City Marathon in 2001 I had been a runner for many years but became a marathoner that day and really on the track I always felt like I was performing for the crowds especially over mm. in Europe when there's 45,000 people packed 
into a stadium and the house music is blaring and they're pounding on the walls of the stadium and you can just feel that beat in your chest. It felt like a performance and it was good because it showed progress when you could see your times lowering. So it was good in that, in that sense, but it always felt like I was performing cross country. Also world cross country championships. You're doing loops around 2k loops around this, um, around this field or course and, um, that has hay bales and, and man-made rivers going across it. And, and the people are standing along the river waiting for you to fall. And it just feels again, like a performance. It wasn't until the marathon that I really felt a part of a community. And from the very first time marathoner like me, I felt a kinship with them. And the the last place person that's raising money for charity, it seemed like I felt like I related to every single one of those people. It's amazing, actually. And just as an aside, we did the New York Marathon in 2019, both a bit injured. Um, this is me and my husband. And uh, and when we started in our wave, not very fit, um, you still felt like you were like you felt like you were in the lead the entire time because it's not just the people who are doing it around you. The whole city comes together. Like it is the most important thing in the city. And and you'd think a city like New York, it's so big and flashy and there's so many people so much going on that a lot of people you know they just actually wouldn't care that you've got however many thousand running but the congratulations that you got afterwards the proud the pride that people had from being involved wearing their medals like four days later like and still people like giving them high fives it was amazing to see that yeah, it is. It is truly, truly remarkable. You get that in so many major marathons uh, around the world. And it, it truly, it makes me reflect on this past year and how people went out and like me ran their marathons virtually and yeah. how hard that was to just be in your head and self cheering the whole time. My husband did the Abbott world marathon major, um, virtual marathon. He was actually a coach for them. And so my daughter and I went out, he was doing one mile loops around the house. So we went or we drove around the house all morning, writing encouraging notes so that it wasn't just us cheering every time he passed the house, but also had some encouragement on that, on that mile loop. And I just, I, it's, it really is admirable that so many people found it within them to just get out and get the work in knowing that yeah. you get the fanfare of what the race typically has to offer. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, Dina, if I go back to your book and sort of how you not only sort of got into running, but how you really found yourself in running, I really loved how you described that in the early years, you just won, you ran and, and you almost just expected that you would win. And you didn't really relate the training aspect to being the thing that made you successful it was the race made you successful because you got there and you, you know, placed first or podiumed and, and that kind of thing. And I sort of just reflected on um, just kids these days, actually, because, you know, there's so much raw talent in children and they rely on that to a certain point. Mm. And then when their talent doesn't sort of allow them to progress any further, so many of them must give up because they haven't really connected that the training is all part of what makes you such a like you know a talented athlete I suppose yeah it is um it is so important to not just teach the winning aspect of it because I also don't agree that everybody should win like everybody gets a participants participants ribbon and and we celebrate everybody equally because that also doesn't show you that hard work is worth it but really applying the process of of working hard of um, of resting hard and why we have to stress and 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 rest our bodies and really that point of um, one of the big things I was teaching our um, our youth camps this summer that we hosted was that that point of discomfort, that point of fatigue that we get to in running because we were all in it in the third lap of our mile that day, all feeling the fatigue, that that is the point that you're actually growing as an athlete. When you push past that fatigue, you are actually getting better. And that it's instead of thinking that that's your, your time to quit, think of it as your opportunity to grow. And But also applying it so that it's not just in the silo of sports, a saying when you're having a hard time on a math problem and you don't understand it, it's that critical point of gaining that understanding that is going to make you smarter. So that's a good mm. point. You want to, you don't want to just keep 
keep knowing two plus two, you want to know two times 12, you know, and, and yeah. that's a little more complicated. But as soon as you figure out how to do that, you are a smarter student. And so really showing them to embrace that, that struggle. So it's not frustrating. So they don't feel unfit or they don't feel stupid, but they feel like, oh, this is where this is, this is my chance to shine. Yeah. So awesome. And you know, you're in your book, you obviously you talked also about your love of baking and your skill in baking. Like it was almost like it was going to be, you were going to be a professional runner or a professional baker. Like you hadn't quite, you know, you were tossing them up. And I felt when you were describing your decision to move everything after college to go and train under coach Vihil that just felt so brave to me given that you weren't at your um you weren't on top if you like at that point in time in terms of your running if, if anything it was almost the opposite was true Right. And when I, when I had to read my book for the audible version, so it was the first time I was actually reading it cover to, to cover, um, out loud. Um, that was my favorite section, getting to that section where I was baking because it was so hard to read about my struggle. Um, mm. cause it felt like a struggle to even read it. And then when I got to the baking scenes and it just felt so poetic and smooth, it was like so fascinating to me that it read, it read in a similar fashion, right. That it was here's my struggle, but, oh, you could see that I'm really finding my stride right here and, um, and really enjoying the process. And what made that decision so hard is that of course I want my family to accept my decision. I want, Mm. I want their backing. And the fact that my dad was like, oh God, like the bakery business, cafe business, um, restaurant business is the number one failed business in the, in the country. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So that's not the right decision, but I don't feel good running. And, um, and so it really took, it really took that nudge from our, um, from our assistant coach, Mylon Donnelly that just said, you don't seem finished. I think you Mm -hmm. have more in you. You just got to do it in a, do it in a better space. And I don't know if he meant space by physical space or headspace. Um, but I did call coach V Hill and it was amazing to me that my first thought going on the phone with him was that I could really be a a baker, open a cafe any point in my entire life. This is something I can always fall back on because it's a joy um, and I still have the ambition to do it. But to be a professional athlete, I really have to try it here and now. And so just going to Colorado, a blank slate, ready to learn and hungry to just see where I could go in four years and then give it up. That's fine. Just give all of yourself for these four years. So it was a big dive in, um, but I had an out in four years. I could, I could do something new. And it was crazy that once I applied myself day in and day out, how easy it was to be successful at this job. Um, and so it was, it was fascinating to me. Like I, I was making it hard on myself because at that point I was making it easy on myself. And that's when I understood so much more. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the whole process, right? If you just get in there and you just train and be like, a professional runner, you're going to have the success that, of, I mean, of course, not everyone will have your success, but, you know, regardless of sort of whatever you're at, if you go through the process, then you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. I loved how you talked about Coach V Hill's, um, you know, his mindset and his positive mindset and turning up with a smile and just always being positive and how you also described, you know, the thoughts and the mantras that go through your head when you're, when you are running, like don't give up, which for some people, that's such a common thing to think when you're, when you're running yet, if you actually step back and look, as you gave us the opportunity to sort of think about it, that's so negative. It's a negative way to sort of spin it. And when you wrote about it in the book, Dina, just, it was almost like light bulb moment. Like, of course, that is so negative. Like, how easy was it to sort of take what Coach V Hill encouraged you to do from mindset and actually put it into practice? Yeah, you know, I it, I was living in a small town, Alamosa, Colorado, and I was so hungry to see what I can get, knowing I had a limited amount of time to get the best out of myself. And so I hung on every word. And I think um, reflecting when I was writing the book and I didn't get into this, although I journaled about it quite a bit um, while I was writing, was just 
thankfully I fell into the right hands, a man with morals and strength and courage and discipline and holding me to high standards. I, I always wonder like if I was so vulnerable at that time, that blank slate, if I was in the hands of a coach who didn't make great decisions or encouraged Mm. me not to make great decisions, if a completely different route would have been possible. And and so I'm just so grateful that he's the one that I, he's the doorstep I showed up on. Um, but I also dedicated the book to him because he really showed me time and time again, mostly through actions, not through anything he said. He said a lot and I hung on all mm. those words, but really like the value of everything we have, whether it's time or money or knowledge or food on the table it increases in value the second we share it with someone. So this book was like, he did that in an instant. He was a man that had very little time and shared it with everybody. And so this was like, gosh, he would spend years studying students, studying athletes, studying the sport, and in a split second, share it with anyone who asked. Amazing. How could I do this? Like I'm not 92 yet. He is and still at it. But how Amazing. Do you do this? So that the book was the answer to that. Yeah, like it was like I loved reading about your relationship with him and his wife. I felt like she must have played a large role in just the the and maybe not a large role, but a, a, a certainly contributed to the mindset stuff and the sort of your I say spiritual, and I don't know if that's quite the right word, but I just felt like you you shared some of your experiences with just going around to their house and spending time with her. And what she and how she encouraged you to sort of think and feel and just that must have played such a big role in it too yeah she like me is very sensitive yeah (laughs) there's her heart on her sleeve um but I needed female energy I trained with these guys coach Vigil was tough and solid and trained with these guys who um who could be um, hard and vulgar at times. So to have this female energy to, to share, uh, throughout the week was essential for me to just have, have that in my life, whether we were sharing poetry, um, or, or speaking about recipes or getting deeper, um, in our conversations, I needed her so much. Um, and so it was a beautiful friendship, despite the fact that she was my coach's wife. I had to be mindful of that too, but I really felt like, um, she was also my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, do you know with your, with your running, like you hold the American record for marathon. Is that right? Yeah. The road 10 mile, the road 15 mile, 15 kilometers. I'm sorry. I think I used, eight- to own, I used to own the 15 K, but I think it's been broken. The half marathon and 15 K I think have been broken. Okay. Okay. There you go. Um, you were just so talented at so like such a range of distances I feel like that's quite unusual actually and then of course your cross-country success as well um is there any like you talk about the marathon is that the distance for you is there or what is your favorite distance oh I mean I love cross-country just because it's dirty and gritty yeah yeah. (laughs) I like it all because I didn't I didn't treat any one as its own thing. I used them all to strengthen each other. Like I was all into cross country season because it gave me such great strength and not just physical strength, but like grit um, as well. So it made my ankles and feet strong because of the uneven surface. It made me strong because of the hills and uneven, um, uneven terrain, but also made me mentally feisty. Um, And then um, track I used to build speed and, um, and then the longer road races I used to build endurance. So it was fun to just um, feel like it was a puzzle each year, like use each season for, um, for something that I could build off of and then bring it in, bring that into the the season that's ahead. So it was really fun to just see how, um, how I could get more, more strength in one, more speed in another and more endurance in the other. And then the next season would be so much better. So, um, that's how I thought of each one of those is just gaining a strength from each season I was in. Mm. And any desire now to run even longer with the, you know, the increased trail runs, ultra runs, has that sort of ever entered your headspace? Um, I don't think the, the, um, ultra racing is in my cards. I live in, um, in the Sierra Nevada mountain range, Mm. which is, 
um, right on the Pacific Crest and John Muir Trails. And so I live in a pretty fantastic place to get into the backcountry. So I do love to get out and explore. The longest I have done is 28 miles. I haven't done oh, anything nice. longer than that. I think when my daughter starts becoming more self-sufficient and I don't have to be the person there to pick her up from school, drop her off at school, um, I'll have more time to be able to go and not have a watch to bring me back um, mm. in time. So I see myself exploring more, but I definitely don't see myself racing longer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just was interested to know what, what your thoughts were, particularly because you do live in such a beautiful place. Amazing. Yeah. And um, I still connect to this day. It's how I get my love of running rejuvenated. It's like yeah. get on that trail and explore a new place. And I just feel like my passion builds again. So, um, so I do feel, feel fortunate that there's, I've lived here for 21 years and I still have a lot of bucket lists that I haven't crossed off because there's so much to explore around here. That's so awesome. I imagine as well having Piper, like just you can look at things with fresh eyes and and do sort of fresh experiences that you might not have otherwise done if you don't have kids as well, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And even in the pandemic year, it was it was hard in a lot of ways. But one of the silver linings was that she got really proficient on the bike because she biked next to me as I ran in the morning. And it was really wonderful to see how social she was the second she got on that bike to to be at my side. We would only go for like 20, 30 minutes. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I was dragging her around town, but um, we'd go for 20 or 30 minutes and we try to explore like different neighborhoods or something different. Um, parts of the bike path here. Um, but she was so social and chatty and it made me, um, kind of pat myself on the back a little bit because I realized that that's how I run with my teammates. She observes us running side by side and chatting and about things that, um, that are going on in our lives, deep and superficial, whatever it is. But, uh, but I really felt that the time that we were out there on bike and in, on foot um, were conversations that we never would have had if we were just sitting at the table sharing a meal together or um, mm. or building a sundae uh, or a fort. It was it was such a special time, and so I value that, and I make sure that we get out and do that so that she could so that we can get to deeper conversation. I feel that we become more vulnerable and open when we're out in the open. Um, mm. Um, and getting our blood pumping through us, getting more oxygen to our brain. And so my conversations with her um, were priceless during that time. That is so awesome that you've got that connection with your daughter in that space, because what you describe with being out there running with other, you know, girlfriends or guy friends, or that's exactly what running has provided for me over the years is, and so many people I know is just my most special and trashed cherished kind of friendships because you there is just something about being out there on the run where you do have those conversations that you wouldn't have in other settings and it, so for you to have that with Piper like that allows you that real closeness and connection I imagine that maybe some parents just actually wouldn't have right and that's maybe a good lesson for anyone listening is that if you are out there running by yourself and looking looking for that next level in your in your running and maybe i mean some people don't even consider themselves runners even though they get out mm. there once a week and do it which is crazy to me because we were all part of the same tribe and uh and so to to join up with people there's such a greater joy um and running can be so social but i also think and now i'm arguing with myself cuz i also think running just gives us whatever we need right if yeah we, if we need if we're, if we have really hectic social lives, then maybe just time out by ourselves is exactly what we need. And, um, and then if we need to disassociate from how fatigued we are, we do need our teammates around to chat so that we're not so obsessed with, with how badly we want to stop. So I think running is beautiful that whatever we put in our heads before we get out the door, it just always seems to provide the, the sanctuary of space to, to work through something. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I really like how you said, you know, whatever we put in our heads, because so much of your book is about that mindset space, both in and out of running. And I've really benefited from what you said in your book over the last few weeks with my own running, because it would particularly with regards to when you feel a niggle. And so I just remembered distinctly in your book, you describe, you sort of felt that your hammy was cramping up. So instead you focused on your other hamstring actually, and, and you were able to kind of get through it. So I've definitely used that. And 
And I just loved how you described your racing in the cross country and how you picked off the other runners and how you knew how they were going to run and you knew which line you were going to take and, and just the things that kept you motivated to push forward when you were feeling fatigued. Like I imagine there'd be hundreds of thousands of people who've read your book, who've benefited from your, that's very good training advice, Dina. Yeah. And, and I guess the bottom line to, to any of it is if I could fill a book with almost 300 pages of thoughts, um, <laughs> the biggest takeaway is like, make sure your thoughts are working for you because this, yeah. is, ju- this is just all. If, I think the, the statistic is that every day on average, we have 75,000 thoughts that go through our head. That is a lot to micromanage, but if we can just make sure a few of those are supporting what we're trying to accomplish, we'd be doing a, a much better job. <laughs> oh, totally. And you know, you, you have such great detail around your Olympic campaigns and I thought you you just seemed to handle it so maturely when, for example, your first marathon campaign in 2000, am I right? That's But you were leading up with a, an Achilles issue mm-hmm. or problem, which meant that you were at, you knew before you even went that you weren't able to put it out there and put it on the line. And I just, the disappointment that must have been for you after such a good training campaign yet you seemed so pragmatic in the book yeah um as to how you felt at the time was that how you felt at the time yeah but I was disappointed I mean I was disappointed even before the race happened because I yeah. just couldn't get it couldn't get a handle on it and I think um I think when it comes to those disappointments and then getting out knowing that I was disappointed already and getting out just to go through the motions of that disappointment to make it a reality and then and then reflect after that i think it's um i think it's important to give yourself that headspace we had some family mm-hmm. vacation time so i was trying not to brood too much but when i got back home to colorado i mean it was enjoying the vacation because that's what it's supposed to do is rejuvenate you. But I got home and did some hardcore thinking about, about what it is that I need to do. And it was, um, it was also the time where Andrew, my boyfriend who I had met that summer just said, you know, you look like you're a little bent at your, at your hips. Let's just stretch out your hip flexors really well. Mm. So we both had it in our heads. Like, how am I going to get, how am I going to get healthy? Because time off doesn't seem to be helping. Icing isn't helping. Um, and I still felt so hungry inside, but I didn't want to get in that cycle of injury. Like I was in college. So I was really fearful of, of, of making a wrong decision. And it just turned out that one stretch is all I needed to, to regain my health. And so luckily it was an easy fix, but it was a hard time to go through because, because I think a lot of times our, our bodies, our bodies don't rise up to, to the, the passion with which we step on the line for. And, um, and I think it's important to know when we bust through that and just keep Mm. going. And when we sit and try to find a better answer and, I think that only comes with reflection, right? It only comes from what's going on up here and 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 mulling it over. And we might make mistakes sometimes, but if we if we truly twist and turn and um and and work it out in our heads, most of the time it comes out right. Mm. And then of course you went on 2004 and had your bronze medal at the um Olympics and that just must have been such an amazing time. Dina, sort of see everything sort of culminate in being able to podium. Yeah, it was a very different four years. I had moved from Alamosa, Colorado to Mammoth Lakes, California. Luckily, Coach Hill was still my coach. He lived here much of the year, but because of that, he was away from his wife who had moved, they had moved to, um, to Arizona. So I think it was a little hard for them because they, they were away for, for four years. He spent much of the time here. Um, and so it was, I know it was hard on him, but the teamwork around um, what we were creating here with um, with some of the greatest distance runners from all around the country. Just come here and train. We're going to all make each other better, sharpen each, each other's swords because everybody had different strengths. And it was a beautiful four years of really elevating each other and and using that synergy day in and day out. And, um, and so I think that was a critical point in Meb's and my 
um, life. Meb Kefleski in that same same Olympics was a one up to me a week later and got the bronze medal. Um, but so uh, such an exciting time to show how working together can really elevate a sport that was suffering. Distance running in the United States was suffering mm. big time. We had a terrible showing from the from the 1500 meters all the way up to the the marathon distance in um, Sydney, Australia, we had a terrible showing and I was one of those people. Uh, but to be able to rally like that and come back four years later and, and earn a medal is really just the power of altitude, but more so the power of working together. Totally. And was it around that time? So prior to that, Dina, and, and I don't have no idea about this, but was that when runners actually did start coming together and, and really had those focused sort of training camps and training um, sort of groups? Was that what got you to the point that where distance running then was able to shine in the Olympics for the US? Is that, was that the, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So Coach V Hill's training group in Alamosa was just his post-collegiate athletes that stuck around Mm. to run professionally together. So they worked together. It was the only professional running group in the entire country. But to elevate it, we wanted to bring the best in the country together. And so um, calling around and asking, um, just picking up the phone and calling my agent for someone so-and-so's number so that we can connect and and bringing everybody together, um, not everybody made a home here. Meb and I actually lived here year round, but a lot of people just came for spring training camps or fall training camps. And, um, and from 2001 to now we've produced 14 Olympians, um, by doing that. And since then, a lot of training groups have sprung up around the country, which give athletes coming out of college, a a really, a, a, a great buffet to choose from on, on what fits their needs. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's great, and it's that whole individual sport yet coming together as a collective, which I absolutely love. Um, you mentioned Finland before in our conversation. Of course, it was a it was one of the sort of seminal parts in your book where you wanted to go to Europe and and have that experience. Yet, it just like when I was reading your experience, Dana, about how different it was to what in my head, like even when I was reading that you were going to Europe, I had in my head how this experience was going to go. And it was just so, so incredibly different. How did that end up happening? I think was one of the things which, which I really, yeah, had no idea. Yeah, there was a a lot of Finnish race walkers that would come to Colorado for altitude training, and they decided they were going to help me out and repay the favor and and help host me in Finland. So I was just um, in this small town of Hainala. renting a room from this, from this husband and wife who were trying to have a baby. I kept that out of the, (laughs) the, the (laughs) those details who happened to be trying to have a baby while I was there. Um, and, um, and I think, I think I was just lonely. I was lonely and I desperately needed the strength of coach V Hill around me all day, every day. And I didn't have that there. I didn't have his strength. Um, but I also had no one and nothing. And so I think it was not only not only me being dependent on him at the time, need still needing to develop my own strengths so I could rely on myself um, to shine when I needed to, but um, but lack of communication with anybody um, and my head became my my greatest strength. But at that time, it showed its deepest weakness and. Um, and again, it was just a moment that that needed to happen so I could realize, oh, my gosh, I'm the same as I was today, as I was yesterday, but now I'm focused and now I'm looking forward. I'm stuck here and I'm going to make the best of it. And it was just a shift of mind. And so it was really um, it was such a it was such a critical low of like screaming at at coach V Hill in the air as I'm riding this bike home in this thunderstorm. Um, it was such an important, it was a desperate moment, um, and a sad moment, but, um, but also very critical to realizing, wow, you just pulled it together in in one instance, looking in the mirror, you just pulled it together. And it's interesting. I didn't reflect on this when I was writing the book, but both instances were me looking in the mirror, me trying to get over the guys being me looking in the mirror and realizing 
I like who I am. Like you're good. Yeah. You're fine. You are, you are, you are exceptional and you're still on this journey and you're going in the right direction. Keep it up. Or in Finland saying like making funny faces and realizing, Hey, I don't need anything. I'll see her. I got trails. I'm running. I'm going to get the best out of myself here and let's go do it. So both were, were hard moments, but, um, but definitely critical. And there was a moment just a year and a half ago that I was at the Olympic trials for the marathon doing commentary there for NBC. And a woman came up to me and said, Oh my gosh, I've been listening to your book on, on audible. And I love it. Cause I just need to get out of my head when I'm running. And I'm like, Oh, have you not learned anything? You want to be in your head. You just want your head to be, to be good to you. You want your head to be kind and supportive. Um, but I think she just needed my voice to reinforce that sometimes. Yeah, totally. And you know, that, um, description, what you, what you just sort of talked through with, uh, in Finland, it was such a powerful illustration of how your thoughts control basically everything, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that I really got from your book was just the, if I say something like the power is within you and you just have to find it, that I, I know how that is going to sound of some people listening who will be like, oh, come on. But 100%, yeah. you know, like you can really, you have so much control over, you can't control what's going on around you, but you can absolutely control how you respond to it. And that's, and your description of your experience there, uh, Dina, just was such a good illustration of that. Right. And how the more we reinforce those thoughts, we can spiral down big time, but we can also spiral up. So it's just making sure each thought that piggybacks off the next one is, is being supportive. It's just, it ends up being so easy once you start paying attention and even being like, um, like sometimes our tone is even off when we're talking in our head, like we sound condescending or downright mean. And, um, when we're, when we mean to be supportive and, um, and so it's important to just make sure that's in check all the time. Yeah. And as I understand, you love quotes. Am I right about that? <laughs> Daily quotes. And, you know, a lot of people, again, I know they they think it's, um, it's like, oh, whatever, a daily quote, it's too Pollyanna. It's, you know, it doesn't mean anything, but these are the things like surrounding yourself with things that motivate and inspire, whatever that looks like for you. I am, it's going to help change that mindset because I know a lot, like it does take time. It takes however long it's going to take for you to default change change your mindset to be more positive. And it's a discipline as well. You know, it's not just something that will happen overnight. Right. It's, I mean, it's, you could talk about being about mindfulness or something, but it's just paying attention, like just yeah. pay attention, pay attention to what you're thinking, pay attention to your surroundings and how they make you feel so that you make sure you're around the right people or in the right environment so you can thrive. But also quotes are such a low hanging fruit in my mind, because it could be like a special occasion, a season, um, or a challenge. You could just type a few words into the search engine of your computer and quote next to it. And it seems like a hundred brilliant people have like eloquently <laughs> summed up exactly how you're feeling or the words you need to su- be supported in that moment. So quotes to me just is so easy to just have a space for them. We have a chalkboard right now. Our chalkboard. Did I just put myself on the spot by, um, by saying this? No, it's fine. We can edit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Nelson Mandela quote. And it was actually, um, um, two weeks ago we had, so it's been up for a while. It needs some changing, but luckily I'm not in crisis to need to change it yet. Um, it was the final week of the Olympics. I hosted mm-hmm. 12 different Airbnb zoom meetings, virtual experiences. And we also hosted a kid's kids camp for two hours every single morning. I was losing my voice by the end of the week and I knew it was going to be a hellish week, but on the chalkboard was the Nelson Mandela quote. It always seems impossible until it's done. And so yeah. it's just like that lure, like, okay, it's another hard day today, but we're going to, you know, it's going to be Friday eventually and we'll have gotten it all done. <laughs> I love that. And God, there's so much truth to that, isn't there? Like anything, like any long run, any class that you've got to teach, client meetings, things that you have to do. Like I, I think like that too, I'm like, it's fine. Just get to the end of the day and it's, it's going to happen. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Raising a child, running a marathon. It all seems yes. impossible until it's done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Now, um, Dina, what's, um, I don't know what it's like for you right now in Mammoth Lakes with regards to Delta and COVID. Is life back to normal? 
Um, it's trying to be real. Like we're trying really hard, but um, I was just gonna have a jewelry party for my friend Jen Rines, who's another Olympian. Um, yeah. we, we've shared our three Olympic teams together. We've actually been roommates all around the world um, during racing summer racing season. She's up here training right now with her younger teammates, and um, and I'm having a jewelry party because she does these beautiful beadworks that all have intention to it, like for healing or. Mm support our patients and so she does a beautiful job and so I was hosting a jewelry party for her tomorrow I just moved it outdoors just because things are starting to get like not as not as comfortable and I don't want to make it mask mandatory inside my house so we're just going to do it outside and I'll serve food and and drinks out there while she shows off her jewelry it might sparkle better in the sun anyway Um, totally it's just it's just we have to be flexible we still have to be flexible and my daughter's back in school, but masks are mandatory. And I got a, um, a letter home yesterday saying a child tested positive They that my daughter wasn't in direct contact with them. So she could still come to school masked up. But that gets mm-hmm. scary um, because, I mean, you don't want your kid to even have a sniffle, let alone passing on this this horrible virus to, to anybody else. So um, so we're still in a still in a in a scary time here. What about you? Yeah. Oh, well, we've just, we're in day uh, 11, I believe, of like our, our strongest lockdown, which we haven't had since the beginning of the virus. And it's because we went on an elimination strategy, which uh, unfortunately was with Delta was not likely to be possible. And then vaccine rollouts have been a bit slower than what uptake has been slower because I think we've been complacent because we basically have been high-fiving each other since you know July last year about how we bet it um so we're not in a good space right now and in fact I've been relying and on on things you've written about in your book and that whole idea around you cannot control the situation but you can absolutely control how you feel about it and so and I feel like these are the things that we need to remember during these hard times be it if it is a run if it is that we're all in lockdown that we continue to have these challenges that sort of prevent us from being able to live the you know life the way that we used to be able to that's when the mindset stuff is so important right and really taking the little gems that come out of a hard year because the year all in all was really challenging but mm. when I can reflect on the bike rides with my daughter when I could reflect on how it became so critical to virtually connect with the people and how valuable those connections were so that we didn't get lonely here or feel isolated um, those are really good takeaways from from a challenging year so on our chalkboard the day my my daughter was sent home from school I mean it was oh my god it was in the third grade. Now she's in the fifth grade. Um, it's crazy at the end of end of third grade, she got sent home from school and I wrote on the chalkboard, welcome home, otherwise known as school in the office. But I put a comma there and it is amazing how much our house became the movie theater, the spa, the doggy daycare, the, the laundromat. And it was like a running joke, how we just kept adding to, to the list. (laughs) And it took over every inch of that chalkboard. We had like 30 things identified that our home became. And it was nice to then think, you know what? Our home is everything to us right now. Thankfully we have it. It can be everything to us in this, in this time of struggle. And we have to feel really grateful for that. Yeah, no, I completely appreciate. And I'm sure that somewhere in that list, there was um, a favorite brunch spot or favorite bakery as well. Dina, you still bake, I'm I'm pretty sure. And in fact, haven't you um, sort of integrated your love of running and baking? And and don't you and Andrew host a couple of local runs whereby you you provide uh, cheesecakes as prizes? Is that right? <laughs> we have two races that we host here. One is our Fourth of July, our Independence Day. Our Fourth of July, um, we call it the Freedom Mile, and it's a mile race that goes off before the parade, so it's very family friendly. And I bake up um, organic rosemary apple pies for the race winner. <gasps> That's right. And then at Thanksgiving time, um, we I. I bake for the winners again, some pumpkin cheesecakes, a pumpkin cheesecake, but then I also bake three extras to raffle them off for people. So it is really fun to be able to do that at a special time of year. That is amazing. And so you still love baking. What's your favorite thing to bake and eat? What, what baked goods is, 
Oh my gosh, my favorite. I mean, I just love bread. Like you just get, yeah. I eat an entire loaf of bread with a good olive oil on the side and just like sop it all up. Um, and I claim it's to try to make my skin more moisturized, but <laughs> the truth is eating a cup, an entire cup of olive oil and an entire loaf of bread in one sitting. Um, and I did this past year get a sourdough starter from a friend. So that was kind oh. of a fad across the world that everybody got into sourdough bread baking. So I feel kind of cliche saying that because we, we have a fresh loaf sitting on the counter right now. But I also love um, like muffins and scones, like something sweet that if I mm. make early in the morning, I might have a more like a, like some avocado toast or something for breakfast. But after the run, I might I might bring a bunch of muffins for the entire team and we'll just sit in our cars and make the crumbs go everywhere. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of pizza once a week. I'm rolling out pizza dough for pizza night and I love baking pizza. So this time of year, cause it's nice. We'll throw it on the grill and let it cook on the grill, which is really fun too. Oh, that sounds awesome. And Dana, is it okay? Um, if I just finish up with a couple of questions that I'm just super curious about, like what's your training like these days? Yeah. Um, luckily with my daughter back in school, it's much more consistent. So yeah. I run now for a consistent 10 days. Um, mm. and, um, and I do want to run cross country season this year cause I feel so strong <gasps> ah. running cross country. So, um, our nationals are going to be in February, so I've got to get ready for February race. So I've got to quicken up these legs big time. Yeah. Amazing. And do you do strength work as well? Um, a very, my strength work is, um, is very limited. Like I just have dumbbells and a bar and some BOSUs for balance. And I just do it, um, a few times a week, but I don't really have a program. I just feel yeah. like I'm 48 years old and it's probably good for my bone strength <laughs> and to keep injury free and flexible that it's, that it's important to keep up with it, but not for, I, I don't use it for strength gaining. I just use it for general health. Totally. And what about supplements, Dina? Do you take any on the regular? I don't. I have never been a supplement fan. I really love food and I think yeah. we get exactly what we need from it. So I am mindful about my vitamin D levels because I've battled that in the past um, as far as my bone density. Um, so I make sure that I eat foods with vitamin D in it, cold water fish and a lot of organic leafy greens because they have more bioavailability of vitamin D. And I really, I really, I really think that our our body will utilize food, vitamins, and minerals because they yeah. have supporting vitamins and minerals in them than if you were to just take a, a pill that has one thing in it. So I, I really believe that anything we need can be from the food we eat if we're making good food choices. Obviously, if we're, if, if we're not making good food choices, then you might need some supplementation. But I really feel like um, if we can get that from food sources, that our bodies will thrive much more. Yeah, that's awesome. And I do know, like I certainly got from your book and just other things that I've read about you, about how much of a foodie you are and how much you love bringing people together to be able to, like your gift is running, but it's also seems to be it's food and baking and providing as well. And I really got that from your book about that sort of bringing people together with um, meals and, and being able to sort of share that with people as well, which is yeah, awesome. And it's such a beautiful marriage of like expending energy and adding energy. It just I seems know. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, Dina, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. And like your book is just one of the best that I have read. And I, the unfortunate, it's on Kindle, which is I've sort of reluctantly taken to Kindle just for ease because I just love a paperback version. But I'm certainly ordering ordering the paperback because there are just so many points in it where you could just pick it up and within five or ten pages, you'll read something that will actually be practically useful for what's going on, be it running, life, business, family, anything. And I'm so grateful that you took the time, the three years and the pain to write it for us because, um, you know, you've got such wisdom and we're so lucky that you were able to share it with us. Thank you so much, Mickey. It was a pleasure talking today and I really am rooting for you guys to get out of, of lockdown soon and hope that everybody can stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Now, where can people find you and take note of, take part in some uh, Airbnb Zoom Yeah, things? so... Um, 
Airbnb last year started virtual experiences since rentals were kind of out of the question. That's where I learned to sourdough bread make from Matt in Venice Beach, California, who was hosting a a bread making session um, and also a magic show. So they have some fun things there, but they asked, um, I think knowing that people are going to need an hour of optimism. So it's cultivating optimism with me, Dina Castor under the Airbnb platform. And I host private and open sessions. So a lot of corporate events that I host throughout the week, um, but also private um, private sessions for individuals and then open sessions where there could be 20 people and nobody knows each other. So they're all fun in different ways, but also on social media, I'm at Dina Castor on Twitter and at Dina8050 on Instagram. That's lovely. Dina, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Mickey. You too. Take care. guys hopefully you really enjoyed that I really did she is such a warm and open individual and um, I really got a lot from chatting to her it was amazing and I cannot recommend her book highly enough so that was Dina Castor and next week on the show I sit down and chat again to my mate Dr Cliff Harvey and we talk on issues much more big picture actually and not necessarily the nitty gritty of nutrition but it is completely related anyone that follows Cliff knows that he is so much more than just a nutritionist and educator until next week though you can catch me over on social on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin or over on my website mickeywillardin.com where as I mentioned you can sign up to any one of my plans including the recipe access but also fat loss plans real food nutrition plans which provide meal plans shopping lists all of the benefits I've already talked about with regards to the recipe access portal and the opportunity to pick my brain you can also go online and book a one-on-one consultation too. You guys have been listening to Wikipedia and I look forward to catching up with you next week.